I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on the episode today, we've got Disunited Kingdom, where we bring you political news in the four corners of the UK as Boris Johnson heads to Scotland, but doesn't meet Nicola Sturgeon. We also found the one thing that unites the United Kingdom, but is it Bez or Van Morrison? We'll find out in a, uh, later on in the episode. First, though, it's our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be crampon, but no Alice Thompson, because she's off touring with her Hells Angels friends. So instead, it's Robert Crampton and Emma Wolfe. Where do you, you stand on the, the ethical dilemma of, of uh, vaccinating children, Emma? Well, I think it is an ethical dilemma because actually if they don't, you know, if, if kids don't really get impacted by the, um, by the infection, um, yes, they're super spreaders. And yes, you know, huge amounts of them are passing it on, causing chaos in schools and colleges and all of that. Um, but but actually, if they're not affected by it at all, should we be forcing them to be vaccinated? So it's more complicated than it first seems. Um, and the other the other point about this one is, I think we need to work out really. I think we need to have a concerted sort of look into why the take up is so low amongst young people. Um, under 30s, apparently three million have yet to take up their vaccine. So I'm not sure whether it would be more successful amongst the 16 and 17 year olds unless their parents just force them to do it. But, um, yeah, given they're not getting poorly, should they have to be vaccinated? It's an interesting question. Where, where, where do you stand on this, Robert? Uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. My children are a bit older than that. They're 22, uh, 24 and 22, so, and they, they're both now double jabbed. Were they 16 and 17? I really don't know. I don't know what I'd, I... I'd, it's a, I think it's, you have to weigh it very carefully. There is, and there is a very slight, but I think proven, risk of heart inflammation in a tiny minority of cases. Uh, balance that against the fact that they don't, you know, they just get ill for a few days and that's that. I don't know, is the, is the, is the straight answer. Uh, and you're, and, you, you, Robert, you mentioned both of your children uh, in their 20s uh, now double jabbed. Was there yeah. any reluctance on their part or their uh, friends no, that you're aware of? No, no, none at all. But uh, and not, not amongst their, uh, their, their peer group either. Although I'm... Uh, I am aware of uh, people, some some of whom are actually in their 30s, who who are sort of kind of, without being anti-vaxxers, are kind of, there's a slight sort of, oh, I may get around to it. It's not really impacting on me uh, vibe. Uh, but no, with my children, no, they just they just went ahead and did it. One of them, one of them is as, as, asthmatic. So that, that sort of uh, took care of that. Uh, 
But do we know enough? Do we know enough long term? I know there's been huge amounts of research and all of this, and obviously, if the if the JCVI are recommending this, then you know we have to accept that. But do we? How can we have the data on the long term effects of the vaccine on all of us, not just on children, when we simply, you know, it's been it's been developed at such sort of breakneck speed? Well, I suppose they've done all the the uh, uh, testing. It's all been yeah. sort of you know tested and signed off the safety tests that you can do with you know within the confines of the concept of time. Um, I mean that um, yeah, that would be an argument for nobody getting the vaccine at all because obviously we don't we don't know the long term data. We're just, there's something of a leap in the dark, but we're we're, we're assuming that the, uh, the the checks have been made. And um, Emma, I've mentioned because you sent me a nice picture of your son. As I now, I having now actually opened the picture on the on the t- on the. T- let me to be clear. It doesn't bother. Yeah. On Whatever. the t- on the Twitter machine, I can see text, but not pictures. Um, and for some reason, I I assume I thought you were talking about a dog. Um, anyway, uh, but if if because obviously at the moment they're just dog about, would be simple. A dog, I'd just lock it up outside or tie it up to a to a lamppost. Anybody who's listened to this item before will know. I mean, particularly Daniel Finkelstein and David Ivanovich, uh, their dogs sort of compete with each other for time ends up actually being of more use <laughs> than most of what they have to say uh, but if if obviously at the moment when you talk about six and 17 year olds uh other people saying that maybe all children should be vaccinated in other countries that's happening is that something yeah. that you would think about emma would you have concerns about i don't know i mean you do as you know you remember having um young babies you take them in for a heck of a lot of jabs i've just done a sort of one-year-old jabs thing and you hold their little chubby thighs and they get jabbed by six i think it's six in one is one of the vaccines so i can't pretend to know a lot about what's going in i just do what i'm told i think that's what most of us do with vaccinations um and i don't know i think the baby had it around christmas he had a weird sort of persistent dry cough so who knows the, well, the, the answer, I think the answer is that the doctors know and this committee knows. And yeah, that's that's the and we trust line. them. I, well, we do. I don't. I'm, I swear, if I sit down to write an article, I wouldn't expect a doctor to come in and start telling me how to do it. And so therefore, I think I'm not going to do the. I'm not going to do it the other way around. That's and a, I mean, it'd be quite handy sometimes when uh, yeah. sitting down to write a column, if somebody would come in and uh, tell us what it would to... be great. But I wouldn't <laughs> tell an engineer how to build a bridge. You know, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I think I think what engineers and epidemiologists do is a little bit more technical than what we do. You know? <laughs> spinning spinning five hundred words out of a random event that happened in the supermarket oh. the other day. Although the people who the people who always message and say, "Oh, you've been told to write that by Rupert Murdoch," so if only if only someone would tell me yeah. what to write, it would, it would make speed it the process. And a pocket full of cash. Up. Yeah, it would speed the process up much more quickly. It would speed up much more quickly. Um, okay, but let's um, uh, let's move on from uh, coronavirus, and uh, I want to talk about. Uh, climate change and the COP26 talks. We had Allegra Stratton on the show uh, day before yesterday, the Prime Minister's COP26 uh, spokeswoman. Uh, it's fair to say uh, we got quite a reaction to the interview, mainly because on the one hand she was explaining why she do- why she still got a diesel car and the AA got very cross about that because they pointed out that her excuses for not having electric cars didn't really hold water. Um, uh, it basically turned out that I was possibly more green than she was. Um, uh, there's now, what, less than 100 days to go until the COP26 uh-huh. talks. Um, there is a, a, a fresh argument about whether or not at least some, you know, does it need to be a physical conference where which people, you know, hundreds and th- possibly thousands of people from around the world fly to? Allegra Stratton said, yes, it does, because people need to be able to meet and thrash this sort of thing out. It's not the best sort of start to uh, to Britain hosting this big thing, is it, Robert? 
Uh, no, it's not. It's twenty five thousand. I think is expected expected in Glasgow, which uh, apart from anything else, is a significant boost to the Glaswegian economy. So, I guess that's they'll be hoping that it doesn't go uh, online. Uh, no, it's not a great start. I think I read. Uh, is it Cristiano Fuigueras? I think I'm pronouncing that right. The the woman who did the Paris 2015. She's now saying it should become a kind of hybrid event, with some of the sessions taking place online, and. The risk of sounding sort of terribly moderate, like I did on the previous item, I sort of think that sounded like quite a good idea. And most summits, the, the, a lot of the work is done behind the scenes anyway, isn't it? So I guess that would be happening anyway. And that sounded like a reasonable idea to slim it down a bit, do a, do do some of the planning sessions online, and uh, not have an absolutely massive jamboree, but have a have a degree of face to face meeting. I mean, they need to they need to get work. They, They'll be meeting online anyway, and they need to be because they're going to have to sort something. They haven't got long to, what is it, three months to sort something out. And the, I mean, the other thing that really surprised me, I was looking at it, is it's on for about two weeks. Right. Um, it's right. not like, you know, the G7 of, like, you know, one day larking about on the beach, an afternoon of meetings, and then everyone packs up and goes home. It's on for two weeks. And it, presumably a lot of that is all the pre, like you said, pre-wrangling. Uh, to because to, ultimately it's going to come down to what happens at the last minute on the last day as to whether or not they you know can sign off some form of agreement. What do you what do you think, Emma? <laughs> when Robert said a jamboree, I just I'm sorry, I had visions really really um in politically incorrect visions of drinking, dancing in the streets of Glasgow. <laughs> no, I mean the revelation that 25,000 people were due to descend on Glasgow, I think, is pretty astounding for a for a climate change conference, you know, they're not all going to be cycling there, are they? Um, and this, it does remind me a bit of Davos, you know, when kind of gazillionaires descend on the Swiss resort and then they wag their fingers at the rest of us and lecture us about um, about not flying. I, I, I get it. I get it about summits. You do need to have those meetings. You do need to meet in person. Um, and I'm, I hate I hate online things. I My heart <laughs> sinks when I'm asked to join a conference online or zoom cocktails or you know parties <laughs> or zoom or parties. discussing the news on popular radio stations no no that's different no no come on radio is brilliant but no the idea of having cocktails together on zoom i mean it's ridiculous it just no one can talk everyone's kind of going no no you go for i hate it i hate the sort of family parties which descend into your mother going i can't hear anyone I, you know <laughs> so i don't know whether that's how it would be, um, but no, obviously the air miles involved in flying delegates around the world is is crazy when it's a climate change conference. I do wonder as well whether the sort of lobbying NGO quango industry might might take a bit of a hit from the sort of uh, fallout of the pandemic. Because I was really struck, you know, particularly with, with the G7 down in... And, you know, I went to call one, and essentially it was a point. Don't tell Times Radio bosses. It was essentially pointless. The media centre was in you Falmouth. You went for a jolly, didn't the you? Me- I did, and, I had a, and very jolly it was too. Uh, but the media centre was in Falmouth. They were meeting uh, on a different coast in St Ives. Yeah. If you wanted to protest, you could do it in a car park in Falmouth and be sure <laughs> that nobody at St Ives had a clue it was happening um and 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 that was even actually with some quite tough restrictions and travel restrictions and that sort of thing um but you know that many many thousands those twenty five thousand people expected to come will be international climate change campaigners and so on who feel they have to be there to organize stunts there'll be inflatables there'll be leaflets there'll be fringe meetings there'll be rallies 
Uh, none of which ultimately will make the blindness a bit of difference. There'll be Greta, of course. So presumably she yeah. will um, come across on a pedalo. She'll uh, swim, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all right for her. She's at school. She can take sort of four weeks off and pedal her way across the ocean from wherever to, you know. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> tell, I just... us, tell us all how to live, she says bitterly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get her on a zoom. Get her on a zoom. There is something a bit, there is something a bit pointless about it. It's like when something happens in, say, in Siberia and they go over to the BBC's Moscow correspondent to talk about it. And you think, well, you don't actually know anything more about this than, than we do in, in Britain. But because... You know, it's it's a sort of it's a sign that we're doing. You know, that we're on the spot. We're a bit nearer. We're a bit nearer. Yeah, or the old, listening. the old, um, uh, you know, something happens, so somebody has to go and stand outside a building. Yes. Uh, the guilty yeah. building of yeah, uh, well, Heathrow he Airport usually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to uh, just because it really really helps if um, uh, the yeah. reporter is standing outside the building. Now, uh, Robert, we can't let you go without discussing BMXing. Yeah, oh, you saw it. Yeah. Yes. Did I look okay? I That's thought you looked positively rugged. Oh man, that's good. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's all that Never mind about the right the words. It's not everyone who can pull off a bright red BMXing top. No, with Peckham written on it. With Peckham on it. So explain. Yeah. So obviously, uh, much excitement this week about uh, uh, Kai White claiming uh, Olympic right. silver uh, in the BMX racing. So you went and had a go. How did you get on? I had a go with his dad, who uh, who founded that club. I helped to found that club in Peckham, uh, where Kai and his brothers went from a very early age, uh, and has now supplied eight members of the Team GB cycling team. Uh, I got on all right. I went very, very, very slowly. Uh, it's a bit scary. It's like all these things when you do them close up, they look kind of a bit fairly easy on the telly, and then you you look down that little that ramp, and suddenly it looks quite steep, and you know you're not far away from going over the handlebars and as a younger man I probably would have risked it a bit more but now I just don't want to end up in a heap in a pile of grit in Peckham so <laughs> I took it I took it very easy and I just basically worried about the camera rather than anything else yeah you look good in the photos that's the mate you, can't, you can't see the thing about the pictures you can't see the speed that you're moving at that's the there was thing. no speed there was no, <laughs> there was no speed. if Emma, I could have done it in a in a in a, in a bike rack motionless I would have done <laughs> Emma is there, is there an Olympic sport you'd like to try your hand at well, I love the cycling. I love the going, going yeah. very, very, very fast and then very, very, very slow. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do BMX. Those bikes, I love I love cycling, but those bikes look too tiny. They just look like those really tiny mini ones yeah. that you see the yeah. kind of, you know, the youth um, cycling around town. So no, yeah. I, I don't think I'd go for BMX. But I love the red top. The red top looked great, Robert. Yeah, Thanks, you, so you could definitely pull that off. Emma Wolf and Robert Crampton there, and you can read uh, Robert Crampton's piece all about BMXing. Uh, just go online to the Times website, get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is Dish United Kingdom. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to the Webbox Podcast. Now it's time for this. So let's head to Scotland, first of all. Caroline Wilson, senior reporter at The Herald, is there for us. Hi, Caroline. Yeah. Uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, flying the flag for England, Rob Parsons is editor of the Northern Agenda. Hi, Rob. Morning, Matt. Nice to have you with us. Um, in Northern Ireland, John Manley is political correspondent at the Irish News. Morning, John. Morning. And uh, in Wales, political editor of Wales Online, Ruth Masalski. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Matt. You okay? I'm very good. I apologise about tripping over your name. Uh, nice to have you. Nice to have you uh, with us. I tell you what. Let's go to Scotland first because that feels like where all the action is. Uh, sort of live news this morning. You've got Boris Johnson coming. You've got Keir Starmer coming. Your cup runneth over, uh, Caroline. Uh, but uh, neither of them going to meet Nicola Sturgeon. Yes. Um, so yeah, Boris Johnson's arriving today, and apparently. Um, you know, he has snubbed a personal invitation from Nicola Sturgeon to meet him, if you if if that's to be believed. Um, so Douglas Ross, who's the uh, leader of the Scottish Conservatives, has come out today saying that he was right to turn it down because she issued the invitation on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to see a lot more of these types of stories as the independence debate um, gathers pace. Um, journalists love it, and judging by the amount of clicks that that story's got on Herald Scotland, I think the um, readers do too. Um, the last time he was at Butte House, he was booed, but I think um, surely someone like Boris Johnson's used to that type of behaviour, so I'm not <laughs> sure um, what's going on. Or all politicians, not just Boris Johnson. Uh, so the, 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 the conspiracy theory goes that, that uh, Nicola Sturgeon waited until the last possible minute when Boris Johnson's itinerary would have been locked in. And then she tweets him and says, I'll do pop in for a cuppa, knowing full yeah. well that there won't be time for that. And also, he doesn't want to look like he's a sort of visiting dignitary, visiting the Queen of Scotland. So uh, I think in response, number 10 have said that he's more than happy to meet all of the first ministers together because he thinks that, you know, he, he's, the, he's the top cat. And, uh, you know, Nicola Sturgeon uh, and Mark Drakeford... Um, uh, you know, the, the the First Minister should be all treated equally. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. He has come out and said that, he, you know, he, he will meet her later and he wants to discuss, you know, the way forward for COVID and um, the booster campaign that's going to be um, ongoing in September. Um, if that's the case, that she did issue it a bit too late, then, you know, it's a bit of, um, you know, it's obviously political and, you know, engineered to provoke some sort of response. But, you know... That's politics for you. That is politics for you. Both Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon are capable of playing politics. In terms of uh, the politics of Scotland and Scottish independence, 
Um, there was a poll out yesterday which showed that there'd been a bit of a drop in support for independence. It is only one poll and we don't get them offered enough really to, to know yet whether or not this is a trend. But where are we in terms of public opinion? And uh, the SNP, there's certainly pressure from senior SNP figures for Nicola Sturgeon to set out the timeline for uh, moving towards a second referendum. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, we're going to, as I say, we're going to see a lot more of this, a lot more polls. Um, that was a poll yesterday. It could change by tomorrow. Um, I know the SNP have said they're going to set out kind of the route to independence in the ne- at the next party conference, which is later this year. So it's just a case of wait and see, really. As I say, it probably swings depending on the week. Yes, yeah, and uh, I suppose that's the thing, because we don't get those regular polls in the same way we do with sort of voting intention. It's difficult to know what impact um, uh, that is having. So that's the relationship between Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, Let's go to uh, Wales now. Ruth, uh, what's the relationship like, the current relations between Boris Johnson and Mark Drakeford? Yeah, well, I think usually we ask if it's con- if it's uh, positive. I think was the last time I asked how a meeting had gone, and I was told it was constructive. So take that um, what you wish. There are regular meetings now with Michael Gove, which I think this end are pretty happy about. It means that they're getting the voice heard at the table. Um, but I'm sure Mark Jacob will be delighted if Boris Johnson wanted to hold a, a, a meeting with each of the devolved leaders. I'm sure they've got plenty to um, put to him. I think on my sort of uh, league table, uh, constructive is less good than positive. Is that it's not, oh, it's not it the same way when I was told it? So, yeah, I'll agree with you there. I was probably, probably next a sort of full and frank, then robust. Uh, <laughs> not sure, and then just like there was blood on the walls by the end of it. It's probably the uh, the next one after that. Um, and uh, how is Mark Drakeford being seen uh, in Wales right now, particularly in response to the handling of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, the rollout of the vaccines? Um, how's that been viewed? Yeah, I mean, it's, complete, it's been completely different here for Matt Drakeford. Um, he has been seen as the, the cautious leader. He's been very steady. He's been, um, don't forget, we've got our review tomorrow. So your Freedom Day was 19th of July. Ours could potentially be announced tomorrow for Saturday. So we're, that's sort of two, three weeks behind. Um, and people don't seem to be sort of against that. The Welsh Government polling seems to be telling them that, that that's the right thing to do. Um, it's been reflected by his sort of attitude to Matt Drakeford. So a couple of weeks ago, we had one of the anti-vax, anti-mask, pandemic to hooks, protests here in Cardiff. And it ended up outside his home. Um, and Mark Drakeford doesn't have an official home. He's got a private house where he lives with his family. Um, and there was almost universal condemnation of that, which sort of brought home to me how much people have sort of taken him under their own. And he's, he's very much seen as, you know, a first minister who's done the right thing and do- doesn't deserve that level of sort of intrusion into his private life. That's really bad, and nobody, uh, nobody should be um, doing that. Setting up outside Mark Drakeford's house. So, so that your news of Freedom Day, you're not going to get very long to prepare and get the bunting out. So, you've got to find out what tomorrow, and then it'll all happen on Saturday. Yeah, so we're allowed to get something embargoed. Uh, we already know what's likely to come. It's looking like we'll go to what's alert level zero here. So that's no restrictions on meeting indoors. Um, it's personal risk assessments in terms of social distancing. Um, face masks will not be obligatory in hospitality venues, but will be in other places like shops. Um, but we, you know, they've already hinted at what that was going to be three weeks ago. Tomorrow we'll get um, some sort of embargoed announcement that usually comes at sort of uh, later in the evening till 10 o'clock, somewhere around there. And then Friday there'll be a press conference where it will, um, there'll be more questions and, and more detail then. And then it will come into force from Saturday. So that's the picture in Wales. I should have asked you, actually, Caroline, in Scotland. Um, what's been the reaction this morning to Nicola Sturgeon's uh, announcement yesterday on the on the not freedom Freedom Day in Scotland? 
Well, I think the, the thing that's been commented on most is um, face masks continuing to be um, used on public transport and shops and in clubs. Some of the club owners, kind of quite a prominent club owner in Glasgow, has come out saying that it's ridiculous to expect people to wear masks in clubs. But, um, yeah, that's what the, the government have decided. So that's a picture in Scotland. Let's go to uh, let's go to Northern Ireland now. John Manley there, uh, political correspondent of the Irish News. How far off is Freedom Day in Northern Ireland? I think Freedom Day has almost arrived, but there are obviously we have concerns about uh, increased level of cases and uh, hospitalisation of uh, younger people. The <clears throat> this morning, you know, uh, or, or in recent days. We've been reporting how there's an increase in the, the number of 18 to 29 year olds who are being hospitalized and the correlation with those who haven't been vaccinated. So the, the, the news and, and I have to say uh, we're in the midst of the silly season like everybody else and things are eerily <laughs> quiet. Uh, the news is dominated this morning by uh, an, a, the potential initiative to ask people for COVID passports or, you know, double proof of double vaccination before they can get into uh, pubs and restaurants. Uh, that has been met with resistance by the hospitality sector who describe it as blackmail. Well, that's um, that's uh, strong words from uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, Rob Parsons, uh, you're at the forefront, as the editor of the Northern Agenda, the forefront of uh, freedom. But have you been enjoying your... Your freedom. Uh, what's the current uh, view of uh, the coronavirus uh, situation in your part of the world? Um, well, I, I personally, yes, I've been enjoying enjoying my freedom, particularly with my uh, new new job that I've just uh, just started. Although I am continuing to do it from my uh, from my my bedroom in North Leeds, so not much has changed. Yes, yeah, so actually, uh, explain, Rob. We spoke to you before. You were the uh, political editor of the Yorkshire Post. Explain to people who don't know what the Northern Agenda is. Yes, happy to do so. So um, Reach, which is the publisher of the Manchester Evening News and Newcastle Chronicle and Yorkshire Live, amongst many titles across the north, we're sort of bringing all our northern politics coverage together under the uh, northern agenda banner because we, you know, there's a lots, lots of really great, interesting politics stories happening across northern England, which we're covering. But the, the idea of the northern agenda is to sort of uh, bring those all together into one place and sort of analyse the trends that we're seeing across the north and kind of tell some of the uh, un untold stories about northern England, which, uh, you know, people might not be might not be hearing. That's really, um, and particularly in all the focus politically, everyone in Westminster trying to second guess what's happening in the north, having a resource which actually tells us will be uh, incredibly uh, useful. Um, how, um, uh, in terms of the announcement on jabbing 16 and 17 year olds, um, is that going to go down well, do you think, in your part of the world? I think I think it will. I mean, I think it, it's based on everything the scientists are saying this morning. It seems like a win-win. A I mean, nationwide, you're going to have potentially a million more teenagers vaccinated, which is going to bring us a little bit closer to the, the holy grail of herd immunity and you'll reduce transmission of the virus in a section of the population, which has kind of driven the recent surge of infections. And obviously the other massive factor is that this should limit disruption to schooling, which is huge. And actually with my northern hat on, it's, it's quite a particularly big issue as absences from school have a particular uh, impact on children in deprived areas and so there's a disproportionate impact on the north of school absences and which has kind of widened that gap that already existed pre-pandemic so it's quite big from that point of view i mean i guess the the unknown factor i suppose is just how many 
teenagers are going to want to take the vaccine and I suppose there's reason to be optimistic about that but there are still quite big disparities around the country in terms of people's willingness to get the jab there's actually a really interesting piece on the, the Yorkshire Live website today focusing on a, an area called a Hare Hill South which is in Leeds which is the most vaccine skeptic suburb in Yorkshire where just 26 percent of 18 to 30 year olds have had their first dose of the the vaccine and um, it includes some memorable quotes from a, a young man called Romeo who our reporter uh, he, he pointed out that 130,000 people in the UK have died with coronavirus but he still doesn't change his tune about taking the vaccine and he says if your body can take it there's nothing to worry about I get that it does damage to vulnerable people uh, but normal people just get a hot temperature or a cold for a week so there's there's still a significant sort of a school of thought amongst some people that the vaccine isn't necessary and I guess it remains to be seen how that will uh, play out with the, sort of the new cohort of, of people getting vaccinated. That's a picture of coronavirus across the country. Uh, what I would uh, talk to you Robin actually focusing on some of the you know, disproportionate effects of, uh, of how the north of England uh, is affected. There's this uh, new report out today looking at uh, particularly was it 43 mainly northern and midland seats which we call now called the Red War. They're the seats that switched from Labour to the Conservatives in the 2019 election looking at the differences in, uh, uh, between those parts of the country and uh, the rest of the country, things like around a third more adults have no qualifications when compared to the rest of the country, um, uh, you know, obviously concerns about levelling up and that sort of thing. But an extraordinary statistic when it comes to the likelihood of being murdered. Yes, the, the, the murder rate is, um, is significantly higher in those uh, in those red wall seats than it is in the rest of the rest of the country, which is uh, a, a shocking statistic. I mean, with this uh, report by the Legatum Institute, which is a, a think tank, I don't think it necessarily reveals anything that's going to be particularly shocking to people who who know uh, the north and you know these areas of the red wall, which changed hands. But I think the fact that it's it's come out today and that various Conservative MPs are kind of uh, commenting on it and piling the pressure on the prime minister is, is sort of telling about the fact that you know this the leveling up agenda that we hear so much about is yet we're yet to see the substance behind it uh we're yet to, it's yet to yield any results that sort of uh, mps in the north of england can really hang their hats on and i think that, that we're waiting on the the leveling up white paper which is coming out in autumn and we've we had the, the speech from the prime minister a few weeks ago where he uh, he, he unveiled a few sort of relatively small, <laughs> small policies. There were but a lot nothing, of words. Uh, there were definitely a lot of words yeah. uh, about I remember something about a chewing, gum, a, yes, a, chewing gum. a chewing gum task force or something like that, which yes. I, I wasn't particularly impressed by. But I think there's there's all these entrenched issues that need to be tackled. And, you know, uh, lack of skills amongst the, the, the adult population is is, is is a huge one. And um, the as various MPs have been saying, just throwing a bit of, money at relatively small infrastructure projects which is kind of the flavor of the leveling up agenda thus far is not really going to uh, get the job done when you've got these issues that have you know been sort of decades in the making well, that's a picture from the north of england rob parsons there from the uh, northern agenda we've done the serious stuff we've done the coronavirus we've done the politics uh, who wants to volunteer a fun story for us uh first of all anyone want to chip in I've got I've got one I can I can put forward if you're interested um, from Manchester. Uh, yeah, on, a, a funny uh, a funny incident over the weekend. Um, pranksters.
poured soap into the Exchange oh, Square fountain a classic. in Manchester, leaving a mound of overflowing bubbles all over the pavement. But it gets worse. Uh, a local councillor vowed to watch back the CCTV footage in the area to pin down the jokers and try and shame them. But unfortunately, the cameras were actually zoomed in on another part of the square. So there's no evidence of what actually happened. And if you'll forgive me, Matt, the vandals were able to make a clean getaway. Right. Never book Rob again. <laughs> After that. Uh, God, that it's like a very low rent episode of Line of Duty. Who put bubbles in the fountain? <laughs> and then somebody's trained the CCTV camera somewhere else. That is an absolute classic. Vivery Park in Taunton. It wasn't summer until somebody put washing up liquid in the fountain. Uh, so for that, that's Rob Parsons for the uh, Northern Agenda. Who else can top that? Anyone? Go on then. Go on, Caroline in Scotland. I'm not sure if this is fun, but there is a plan in Scotland to vaccinate clubbers. So instead of um, lining up to get past a big crabbit Scottish doorman, you could be queuing up for your vaccine. Um, they've certainly got, it'll certainly give them a um, you know captive audience, but I'm not sure about the safety implications. Obviously, people are drunk. Um, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, we've also heard that Transmit, one of Scotland's biggest music festivals, is going to be held, so that might be another area that they, they might look at. I don't know. Is it the idea that you would do it in the queue outside or just someone is just walking around the nightclub just sort of creeping up behind you, like jabbing you uh, unwittingly? I would, I would hope that it's done in a... Well, I'd imagine it's done in a responsible way. I don't think it would be done as you're queuing up to get into the club. Could it be you don't get in unless you have your vaccine? I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I suppose it's the only drugs that you're allowed to. Uh, to the, 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 yeah, the only thing you should be injecting on your way into a nightclub. Anyway, uh, right. Um, uh, thank you for that, Caroline Wilson, senior reporter at the Herald. John or Ruth, what have you got for us? Well, mine sort of ties in, I guess, slightly. That which is um, Bez of Happy Monday fame. Um, uh, yes, go on then. We always love. We we love a link to Wales. We've loved in the last few weeks seeing everyone staycation here. We've got Tom Hardy going to Barry Island, and we've got Russell Brand in North Wales. But uh, one of my colleagues has discovered that Bez is now living on the Welsh borders. Uh, and he's having a lovely old time. He's doing some homebrew. Um, he's making friends with the locals. Um, and in a sort of classic Bez style, he says that his love for Wales started when he went to Glastonbury and then found himself living part-time on a commune near Swansea. Um, <laughs> we've all done it. We've all, been, we've all had a Glastonbury experience like that. Um, I was reading the copy... I came home just very tired, but he came home and uh, moved to a commune. <laughs> Uh, the, the brilliant copy on this as well. Bez has swapped taking E's for keeping B's. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, he's living this remote look, um, uh, where he brews his own hedgerow booze. I mean, you could argue that he's probably had enough of that. But, um, uh, well, that's an, uh, that is excellent. So that's uh, and also nice, uh, Andrew there finding a bit of uh, Happy Mondays as well, competing with Aina on the on the dish jockey stakes. So, uh, John Manley, political correspondent of the Irish News, have you got, can you top Bez? Not at all, not at all, no. Um, it, it, it's not really a fun story, but it's an interesting story and it ties in geographically with Ruth, etc. cetera. Uh, we, the, the BBC is carrying a story of a hiker uh, from Northern Ireland who was in North Wales uh, hiking with friends and got alerted that he had tested positive for uh, coronavirus and then wasn't unable to go back to the campsite as arranged. So he, he put out a, a, an appeal on Twitter 
for somewhere for him and his friends to stay. And amongst it, so this was then retweeted by Lisa McGee, the writer of Derry Girls and different things, gained a lot of traction. And among those who came back to him was uh, former Home Secretary Jackie Smith, who offered him the use of her caravan in North Wales. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've spent some time in North Wales in a place called Tawan. And uh, even if the caravan was free, I don't think I'd return back there. But um, Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hang on a minute. That's fighting talk. Ruth, do you want to leap, leap to Wales' defence? I, North Wales is a beautiful part of the world and I've nothing said against it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he ended up staying in a place. His dad intervened, a friend of his dad intervened. They ended up staying in a place in Cheshire, which I think for uh, for young people must have been awful. It, it transpired that the place had no Wi-Fi. So the guy spent a couple of weeks playing a lot of Monopoly. Which you would, I suppose that is what happens when you go on holiday to North Wales. No, I actually thought, although that, that is a very good story. I think that might be the best of the stories, uh, John. I thought you were actually going to give me a story about Van Morrison. Oh, well, yeah, well, no, no the, 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 um, our surly uh, anti-vaxxer uh, Van Morrison, has, has, he, he has uh, been a constant critic of lockdown and various measures against coronavirus. And there's a sort of public feud with our health uh, minister, Robin Swan, but uh, Van has actually dropped his legal action against the executive, which prevented them um, from, which meant he had to cancel a few concerts, which, in my opinion, is an actual blessing. <laughs> I love how, although he's on the ball today with the old music. Um, uh, I love how he's, uh, Van Morrison has gone from the sort of uh, Astral Weeks legend to surly anti-vaxxer. Uh, in the sort of journalistic description uh, that's uh, given to it. But you're not a fan, John. No. <laughs> well, there we are. There we are. We all, so we all like Bez uh, more than... Uh, is that, are we all in agreement on that? We all prefer Bez over Van Morrison? Yeah. Yep. yeah. There we are. There we are. You see, we're... Uh, funny, pre- I can remember... I'm old enough to remember when it was uh, actually cool to wear vax- uh, masks in clubs back in the days of uh, raves and things, so, yeah. Well, I thought you were talking about some sort of swingers thing then, John. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, lovely to speak to you. I'm glad that we, we, if if we're bringing together our disunited kingdom is now united around the fact we all prefer Bez to Van Morrison. And if that's not achieved, that's, that's what Boris Johnson should be doing. He should be touring the country with Bez. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history.